0: So the question is about what's the difference between paying attention to something and being aware of something? Yeah? Not much. Not much. No. Generally, we use the... I've been using uh, the phrase be aware of, be mindful of, observe, uh, attend to... Use those all synonymously. If we looked at the specific uh, characteristics, function, manifestation of attention, and mindfulness, they'd be different. But as far as an activity, a general activity of the mind, same. There might be more uh, more faith of seeking the good and more understanding in awareness than attention. You could pay attention to something with wrong view. Huh? But being aware, you, you, you would be paying attention to it with right view. So there's some subtle differences, but...
1: Couldn't you be aware of something wrong with you?
0: Yes, but not, def- not by definition, but by general right. experience, yes. But by definition, no. Tonight I'm going to speak about awareness and parcel out some of the activities that are going on there in the activity of awareness. Maybe that'll help.
2: hoping you could expand on something in the Dhamma is everywhere book or explain it. It says the chance to practice mindfulness is very rare. It says we can only practice this technique when a Buddha arises. When what arises? A Buddha arises. Yes. That's what it says in here. Yes. So I was hoping you could explain or expand on that.
0: Um... Did it say we can only practice awareness when a Buddha arises? It that was...
2: says we can practice this way with this technique when a Buddha arises. Yeah.
0: Okay, so this is the understanding that the teachings of the Buddha are present in the world today. Uh, before Gautama Buddha, 2500-2600 years ago, the teachings of the Buddha wasn't available on the face of the earth. There are other religions, other spiritual traditions, but not the, um, not that, not including, or not inclusive of all that the Buddha taught. And what I spoke about the other night, the, for example, the uh, not self-characteristic, that understanding, not available, you know, without a Buddhist teaching. And there are some other subtleties that Buddhists like to, Buddhists, Scholars like to distinguish between Buddhist teachings and every other kind of spiritual teaching. So that's what Sayadaw is referring to. So the teachings are still alive on the face of the earth, but you know, in a few years, you know, maybe a thousand years, maybe a few hundred years, who knows, the, the teachings of the Buddha will disappear. Meaning, there may be libraries of books, Buddhist books and it's quite likely to be, but no one who practices them and no one who understands them from their own experience. So that that will come to pass like all other things are, changing, impermanent, in that sense. So it will die out. Which may be, (laughs) in in Burma when we're in the monastery practicing, every once in a while you get these, um, well, frequently... Some place nearby will set up these loudspeakers. I mean, loud speakers. And they, they do something. If it's a local restaurant, they'll play Burmese karaoke and Burmese opera. And, and they play it loud day and night. No sound ordinances, in, no noise ordinances in, in Burma. But occasionally, and actually quite frequently, a monastery or a nunnery will set up loudspeakers and they'll chant, they'll chant some of the sutras or something well there's one section of the the Buddha's teachings called the Patana conditional relations and Buddha prophesied prophecy prophesied that the Patana would be the first section of his teachings that disappear from the earth first where people just won't understand this and won't be able to practice it and won't be able to realize it so maybe it's because of that prophecy that the Burmese monks and the and the Burmese nuns they really make a point of trying to keep it alive. So they will chant, they chant the, the patana. The short version is three days. The long version is a week, and they chant loud. You know, and there'll be a different monk or nun chanting for an hour or a piece or something like that. And it's day and night. Two o'clock in the morning, it's just blaring away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the first 24, 36, 72 hours, you know, you just kind of... <sighs> After that it's just background. You know. But, at the end of the chanting, however long it is, when they end, there's always a group there that ends, and they say, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. The interesting thing is, this can be going on day and night for several days, and it's just background. You just don't pay attention to it. You can't. If you pay attention to it, you go nuts. So, you just, it's just wrong. But when it ends, and they say, Sadhu, whatever time of day or night it is, you hear it. <laughs> you really know this. Oh, you might not hear the first Sadhu, but boy, by the second one, you've got it. And it's such a happy-making sound. <laughs> it's about to end, we think. Just for your daily dharma entertainment.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. I have a question about. Uh, so, yesterday I was noticing that when an object would appear or begin to appear, begin forming, and I would recognize it as a visual. So, I'd say, for example, it's like a, a visualization, and knowing what that leads. For me, it might lead into a story, a feeling tone play itself out into an opera of some kind I don't know is it more skillful to acknowledge that visualization is happening and to put it down or more because I kind of felt a little bit like Samatha practice something's arising put it away right but my awareness was more like something's arising well we know where this leads should we just stop this and let it drop, or through awareness just watch it play itself out.
0: Okay, so the question is about when, you know, mindfulness just sets that you can see, a, a vid, for example, uh, a vision, some kind of imagination appears in the mind and you see it, and you suggest that there could be the option of just put it aside just say not now clunk or you could just watch it play itself out even if you know it's going right into the ditch you know or going into you know life's opera I would like to suggest a third option recognize imagining is happening see visioning is happening or something like that and see what happens to it see what happens the clarity of you know, the the vision is arising partly out of not paying attention, a little bit of careless attention or not wise attention. And but but as soon as you notice it, there's wise attention. What happens to it? You might see that there's 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 like okay, keep recognizing, keep recognizing, keep recognizing, keep recognizing, rather than getting involved in the content. If you get involved in the content, oh this is the story or this is the vision then you'll get carried away, and it'll run where it runs. But if you clearly recognize this is being known, you'll you'll see something different.
1: Would that something different feel more like, for me, it just kind of ends, kind of dissolves?
0: kind of ends and dissolves. Okay, so if you if you see this vision or this imagination or memory or whatever it is, you see it. And when you look at it, it just dissolves. Let me just ask you a question. Does it kind of freeze frame and just kind of depixelate into mist? Does it, as soon as you recognize it, just immediately drop off the screen? Does it telescope away like you see it, and then it
1: just goes mm-hmm. Um, Well, at one point it felt more deliberate like putting it away, and then as I try to open up, use more awareness it felt just kind of losing its substance It's Just losing its substance? Yeah, just kind of dissolving, kind of
0: depixelating Depixelating, okay And And something else would pop up That's what I would do, I would watch what happened, to see what happens to it if it, if it seems like I have a choice, hold this in view and kind of keep looking at it or just let it depixelate into mist. Watch what you do with that apparent choice. It may not be a choice. It may be just you see and then something happens.
2: Okay is getting slower and deeper over the days, I've gotten to a point where I'm also being much more kind to myself. I'm more relaxed. As things come up, I'm not judging them so harshly. It's just everything has gotten much softer. And I notice that I think just that quality of kindness is making dukkha kind of go away. You know, On some level, it's that unkindness to myself that seems to be creating the dukkha. And I also notice that at the root of all of the defilements and everything that's coming coming into my mind, underlying it, there's some kind of good intention. There's some kind of desire for my own well-being on some level. And so what I'm getting a sense of through this is just a sense of Fundamental human goodness that is there. You know, it's within me, it's within all of us. Um, and I'm, I guess I'm trying to make sense of where that goodness fits into this practice and continuing deepening of practice, because I, I don't remember hearing about it in studying the jhanas and different things. I don't remember hearing about it being in some way a touch, um, a practice of clearing away just to be in touch with an inherent goodness that exists in humans or the universe or whatever. And maybe it's maybe it's just the layer of the onion that I'm at, that that seems important, but I was wondering if you could help you put that into context.
0: Yeah. The comment was about as the retreat has gone on and just slowing down a little bit, feeling a little more at ease, a little more relaxed, there's just more kindness towards yourself, less judgment. <coughs> and that seems to be a great lessening of dukkha. And when you see this great lessening of dukkha, the apparent kind of inherent goodness of within the mind becomes more apparent or visible or uh, able to be acknowledged. And you're just wondering, why haven't I talked about the sukha of life? You know, dukkha is dukkha, the opposite of sukha. Right. Well, <laughs> what I hear you saying is that you're now recognizing more of uh, wholesomeness, more pleasantness, sukha of some sort, non dukkha, less judgment. Uh, what I heard you pointing to was an increasing sense of well being, um, all of which can and should be taken note of, just like you did all the dukkha, all the unpleasant, all the, because these conditions, too, or these experiences, the sense of well being, the sense of sukha, less judgment, anything, these are also conditioned. These are conditioned by causes and conditions giving rise. They're no, they're no more inherent than anything else. They become apparent when when the momentum of awareness is stronger we do have a tendency I say we do we start to recognize more of what's going on, including the wholesome. Some retreats that you go to will emphasize cultivating loving kindness, cultivating joy, cultivating equanimity, and these these would would reveal the inherent I say, to use your language, the inherent goodness, the inherent pleasantness. Not that it's inherent, but you cultivate it, you condition it into being. So, it's really what kind of practice you're doing and how you understand what your experience is. But in this practice of insight, I would not say that this these pleasant sense of well-being is more inherent than anything else. Remember my talk on the characteristic of dukkha, or the First Noble Truth. All conditioned things have the characteristic of dukkha. Some of it is just painful. But some of it is dukkha because it's not reliable, it doesn't last. And some of it is just oppressive. So, I don't want to say that dukkha, is, dukkha as pain is more inherent than sukha as a sense of well-being. That's not true either. But the dukkha characteristic is, is, is present. But, that being said, when we see how we don't treat ourselves kindly, to, use your, to go back to your original comment, we are very critical, we're very demanding, we're very judgmental about ourselves, about others. And when you see that, with awareness, you can, you can arrest that you can rest that bad habit, so to speak, and you can kind of put it aside for periods of time. And then you feel a sense of well-being. But that's a conditioned, that is a conditioned experience. I want to distinguish,
2: I think there's a distinction to be made, I'm going to try, Um, between a feeling of pleasantness or wholesomeness and some kind of underlying just good intention. So, I agree, pleasantness, I it extends to treat as a defilement, in a sense, because it's just coming and going, and maybe pleasantness as the feeling that arises from a feeling of pleasantness the same, but what I'm talking about is something that feels more, it feels inherent, I know there's nothing that's inherent, but it, it feels more foundational to I, it feels more like nature, you know, like part of human nature is that we are born and we have an instinct to take care of ourselves, and there's something about that that is wholesome and good. And then we start, because we have this intention to take care of ourselves, but we're born into a world of dukkha, everything gets messed up, and everything gets um, confused, and painful. And then when we strip away all of that pain, we can get back down again to this place where we really just have good intentions out in the world. So that that may be what you were responding to. I just wanted to clarify that that's what I was talking about, that layer.
0: Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, that it seems like when you get down, when you clear away the... Um kind of the immediate unwholesome states of mind, that there seems to be these wholesome states of mind, of goodness. You know, and dharma practice is just that. Dharma practice is seeking the good, seeking the good within you. But I might also point to the fact that in the in the understanding of the law of karma, and this is, believe it or not, that's, that's, your, that's your choice, but in the law of karma it says, to be born a human being... In this vast cosmolo- cosmology that's that's available to us, is the result of just infinite, infinite goodness in, pre- in in former times. Just having performed just infinite goodness, kindness, generosity, loving kindness, wisdom, compassion, generosity—just just mountains and mountains and mountains of uh, good, good, wholesome karma results in the goodness of being born a human being and there's a lot of good there's a lot of pleasant good goodness in human in the human life right and it still is subject to the law of laws of nature one of which is the truth of dukkha okay so I wouldn't say that it's more inherent it's not any more inherent than the, the, the truth of dukkha you know, we can access it, we can train the mind to be more in that direction, in that headed in that way, but you know, there are people in the world, human beings in the world, that have a really hard time recognizing goodness in themselves or anyone else. That's not to say that it's not there. Heavy delusion, heavy, massive delusion, confusion, bewilderment, of course, obscuring it. But...